But the point I want to make, and this is a long-winded way of making it, is that you can't stay focused on putting the hammer into the wood or the nail into the wood if that's what you want to do. You have to grow as a person. You have to learn how to be a leader. You have to learn how to create systems. You have to learn how to create structure because you're going to need to bring other people into this fold. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents in our industry hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Pat Hyman, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Mucci. Hey, welcome back to the second part of the State of the Market episode interview that I did with David Green. I think all you guys know David Green is one of the hosts of the Bigger Pockets podcast focused on real estate investors. I have him here talking. And this is just the second half. We talked so much last week when we did this recording, I wanted to split it into two different State of the Markets for you. So we are about to jump in to our next quick interview. We we were a quick question, right? We were taking some questions from people that reached out to us on Instagram and Facebook and things like that. So I'm gonna jump into my next question from a listener on how to scale his business. Listen up. I had another one that I thought was too good to not ask you. So this is a guy reaching out from Metro Detroit. He said, hey, loved your show on BP. I'm a full-time law enforcement officer and I've got 40 single family homes, the all in the foreclosure space. So the, he's trying to figure out how to scale up and, you know, and he's talking about, you know, what are some different advice? And I said, Hey, that sounds a lot like my buddy, David Green's story, right? The, uh, when I met David, he had about 25 or 40 houses and he's a full-time law investment. He said, yes, brilliant fella, mad love for him. And the, you know, and I'm going to talk to him some more about some ways that he might be able to scale his business. But it seems like, so at different levels of your business, as you've scaled and do it now, you're still doing some stuff out of state, but you're also doing like these huge flips in the Bay area Mm -hmm. uh, and and kind of doing everything. What did you first, what's kind of your first steps as you scaled from, you know, to do more? Was it doing more per month? Was it doing more expensive houses? I know so much of your story is you did the burp, you'd buy it, you'd refinance it, you'd have the money and you would just go do it again. But was there something that created momentum for you at different times like that? Momentum in which way? Well, to where it started, it's sometimes in scale. So some people would say, hey, the scale is I'm going to do one house a month for the next year, or I'm going to do one house this month, one house next month, two, two houses the next month, where they start. Did you get to where you started doing more per month or more expensive, or did you just stay steady and it all added up? Yeah, that's a very good point. At the time when I was working in law enforcement, it was very steady and consistent and predictable and somewhat boring, which is still probably a great model. I'd recommend almost everybody should be aspiring to that. Regardless of how big of plans you have, that model will work for you. Building wealth should be boring. It should be somewhat predictable. Real estate is a get rich slow game. And that was why I really liked it. It was when I started selling houses as a real estate agent and transitioned out of being a police officer investor kind of agent into a full-time agent that was also investing that I hit, um, it was kind of like I hit the NOS on the car. It started going so fast that I had to let go of some of the other things that I was doing. And there's a lot of people that have said, well, why are you not buying rentals right now? Why are you not focusing as much on that? And there's a lot of reasons why that would be the case. But the ultimate answer is I'm not going to stop doing that. I just paused it for a minute so I can go learn these other things and build these other skills. But what I found from doing that was that I got really good at building systems. I got really good at being more organized. I learned to put a team around me. I learned to be focused more on the vision of what I'm trying to do than just in the trenches, putting a nail into a piece of wood, which is very hard to break out of that when that's what you're used to. And then when I take all this knowledge and I transition it back into the real estate stuff, it will be you know five to 10 houses for every one that I used to buy, but it will feel like the same amount of work. So for him, as far as what he's doing, he can continue going that route of 40 homes, the foreclosure process, and he should, what he'll find is they'll hit a point of diminishing returns where getting another single family rental will not feel like it won't get you excited anymore. Cause you'll recognize I just bought myself another problem. 
that I have to work on every single month. It's another set of emails I got to answer and spreadsheets I got to look at and repair requests I have to go through. And if you want to continue that road, you have to learn leverage. You have to get like, I have someone else now who manages my single family portfolio. I have every single property manager in all the different uh, four or five states where I own property. I have two property managers in each location. They all funnel to the same email that's only used for that. That person checks that email and deals with the problems that come in. They go through all of the statements that come in. They show how much rent was collected for every property, how much we paid. I get a total that gets put on a different spreadsheet that I can quickly look at once a month and I can see where we are. And if there's problems that he doesn't know how to solve, he comes to me and we go through it. Once you've got that in place, you can scale that thing infinitely right? At a certain point, you have 400 of those properties and one person can't manage them all. So you have three or four people doing that job. And that first person you hired, they manage those three or four people. But if you use that kind of pyramid model, not a pyramid scheme, but the person who learns how to do the job now has to transition into a leadership role where they train and supervise other people who are now doing that job, you can keep scaling. But the point I want to make, and this is a long-winded way of making it, is that you can't stay focused on putting the hammer into the wood or the nail into the wood if that's what you want to do. You have to grow as a person. You have to learn how to be a leader. You have to learn how to create systems. You have to learn how to create structure because you're going to need to bring other people into this fold. Now, the beautiful thing once you've done that is that model of buying single family foreclosures and having someone else manage them becomes relatively self-sustaining. And now he can take all the skills he learned there and go apply it into bigger deals or different things. That's how I'm now moving into the broker business to do loans, right? I've got a team of people that are doing most of the work for my clients. I can now go work on becoming a lender and building a lending team, very similar to what I did with the real estate stuff. And that's what everyone who's listening that has big plans, you have to accept you will no longer just be doing the skill work the required to succeed in the, the little area that you're used to doing. In order to grow, you have to develop the new skills. And I think, Aaron, you're a great person to learn from because you're one of the first people I heard talk about this that really got me thinking, can you really just have everything go to an email and not read it and not have your whole world fall apart? And everybody respects you. I've never met a human being that doesn't respect the way you do things and what you've done. And you're somebody who did it. So maybe I should ask you, what are some of the growing pains that you went through as you had to learn how to systemize so you could have your hands in so many things? Rockstar Nation, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat Hyben. You know, I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49. On there, I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, and in there too, he talked a lot about his six steps for seven figures book and training program that he built over the last couple years. And I realized I haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we've built for you out there. So if you wanna check out Pat's course, we've got like a three minute summary video when you go to, it includes so many easy to follow tips that you can follow on it like a day-to-day -day basis. You can email reminders, all sorts of different things that come with that course. You find that you go to rebusuniversity.com, R-E-B-U-S, rebusuniversity.com. Look at courses. You can find the six steps for seven figures book. And really there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too. Our normal prices used to be $1,500 or $2,000 a course. These are real deal professional courses. But now uh, during quarantine, a lot of them are priced down like 90 bucks, 95 bucks. So we've slashed the prices because we know right now is a time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education, especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do. And if you go in there and you figure like, like there's a lot of different courses you want, maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte, you go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option that you can pay to get access to every course we've ever put on Rebus University for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption. It, that's it's so funny. It, it's a great reminder of how email funneling and stuff like that can become an ultimate hack for scale. So when people are first 
trying to scale, like your example was realizing, like focus is so much of what messes us up in our daily lives. We look at our, we open our email, there's 60 emails and the whole, you know, what I used to get on stage for was saying like, Hey, you show up at work with one thing to do. And eight hours later, you didn't get any of it done. Because as soon as you got there, you started, re- and we go in for weeks at a time going, well, today I'm going to write that contract, today I'm going to write the contract, and all of a sudden a week goes by. And one of the big tricks is, you know, not looking at our email or, or what, you know, Tim Ferriss would talk a lot about. Mm-hmm. It's like time blocking and being able to time block for each part of your business. And so the very simple hack that I think people are starting to use, so we have an email address for our utilities, Right. So it's just like, hey, there's one email address that's called, you know, utilities at our company name. And so anytime we're turning utilities off and on, our utility bills, everything goes to there. Because one of the toughest things when you first start scaling, whether it's construction, whether it's rentals, whether it's flipping, or whether you're an agent that's doing REOs and some of that, utilities becomes a big part of it because there's nothing that'll take off somebody more if they show up for an inspection and the, and the power of water isn't on. Like that's like, a very simple, avoidable thing, yet it happens all the time. You know, agents show up and some, one of the utilities got turned off. And they even sent, they, I sent an email yesterday to ask and they said, yes. So like a utility email for that. You're using one email for your property manager stuff, which gives you the ability to do a couple of things. One, you can easily hire somebody to go do that part of your business and you can easily kind of replace them and switch people in and out. Mm-hmm. Or if you wanted to do your own management, but you wanted to make sure you only spent a couple hours a week on it, just on Fridays at 10 a.m., you would open up that email and get, to, and get to track it. I really like the idea of, I think what a lot of people need to think about when they want to scale. So whether you're a real estate agent saying you want to do more de- deals, right? They want to do more deals. They want to start a, a mortgage broker. They want to do these different things. I, I encourage people to try to figure out what their why is. Like really just asking like, so what's the goal? What's the five-year goal? What's the three-year goal? What's the one-year goal? And why? Is it so I could spend more time with my family? Because a lot of my things that I used to say is I remember going, man, I want to be rich someday. I want to be rich someday. Well, why? What would you do? I'll tell people, I'll ask people, well, what would you do if you're rich? You know, what would you do if you had all the money in the world? They'd be like, well, I'm going to golf every day. Uh, I'm going to do this or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go travel like this. And it was, it's about trying to encourage them to go, okay, so we need to set up a business like that. I made a post this last week. The, I was uh, at a campsite in South Dakota on auction day and I had my computer out on the picnic table and the, my son's next to me eating a donut and I'm bidding at auction, right? And, I was, and it was like, hey, this, this looks awesome, right? Like, so I just bought two houses in Texas from my computer from a picnic table in South Dakota but it's because of these teams that I have. And, but it's remembering that those teams took many years to build. And it was because a few years ago when I first started doing that, I said, hey, I want to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. I, want, I don't want to have to stand at auction and bid. So what does that mean? Who are the people that I need on my team? So as people visualize the, the five-year, hey, I want to either be retired or I still want to be involved, but I only want to have to do this or this, or I only want to have to work one or two hours a day. You start piecing together what your team should be and then you start gradually adding them on. I mean, there's some, there's some people on the team that are you know, it's easier to replace and simpler and other people that the longer they stay, the better. I like the idea in an ideal world, you could have stuff so simple that you have eight different team members and all of them only focus on one little thing because then if they decide they want to do something else, it's easy to train somebody in. It's really tough to replace somebody that's an all-knowing assistant. Mm. If you have an assistant that runs your accounting and runs your scheduling and runs all of your teams and then something goes wrong, it's really, really hard to come back from that. And I've, ex- I've experienced that. I've had a couple of people that were, that were my right-hand people that were doing everything that when something went wrong and I had to start over, it was really like a setback. The tough part with segmenting like that, though, is, is maybe each person only has a five or a 10 hour a week job before you get big. So when you're small, it's, it, 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 it's much easier to hire a person that can do several things or a few people. But you know, coming up with systems along the way and visualizing it. And one of the big tricks that I've used lately, too, is just like screencast software. Like every time I'm doing something that's simple and repetitive, turning insurance off and on, turning utilities off and on, you know, grabbing a spreadsheet from here and uploading it to there. I would get myself in a mindset that said, hey, anytime I'm doing something that I shouldn't have to do, I'm just going to do a screen recording. I'm going to save it and I'm going to file it as how to start insurance on a property and, you know, just talk while I do it with the goal of, all right, I hope that's the last time I ever have to do it because now I'm going to send that to this person and next time they're going to do it. So scaling businesses is fun as long as it's, as long as you know why, as long as you really have, um, 
the, yeah, there was times I wanted to grow really, really big businesses. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of, and, and that was, I wanted to have lots of employees. I want to have a, like a Google Facebook type office. And, but if that was my only why it wasn't able to sustain itself because to do that, you also have to have a really profitable business that can handle heavy overhead. So the, you got to figure out what your why is as you grow. I feel like the, the business of being a real estate agent is one of the simplest and easiest businesses to scale. Now, I don't mean it's easy to be successful at doing it. What right. I mean is it's one of the easiest businesses to systemize. And it's kind of like with training wheels. It takes a minute if you're going to try to systemize this before you're going to go really fast. But for the most part, our commissions are big enough that there is plenty that can be chunked out of that and paid to somebody else to scale a business slowly and systematically. And one of the things, so what I'm basically doing right now is I'm preparing for 2021 where I set a really big goal. I said, okay, I want to sell $150 million worth of real estate in 2021. That's going to be somewhere between 200 and 250 houses. And I don't want to do it with 20 agents. I want to do it with like four, three or mm -hmm. four, right? Mainly two of us. And that's just simply because more people is more problems, right? Like Notorious B.I.G. never got to make that song. If he'd have been alive long enough, that's what it would have been. It's yeah, really hard next for sure. when you get a lot of people and all of their own personal quirks and emotions involved. So I, what I was thinking is, as you were talking, it became so simple. Every single business is some form of taking a crude natural resource and converting it into a usable product. Okay. So whether you're talking about how Nike makes shoes or Chevron gets gasoline, it starts off as leather and cotton and it, and it slowly goes through a whole bunch of steps to become a tennis shoe that people like and want to buy or don't. And gasoline is an easy example to use, right? It's, it's a bunch of crude oil in the ground. Somebody has to figure out a way to get it out. Once they got it out, they got to figure out a place to store it. Somebody has to move it to the place it's going to be stored. Once it's stored, somebody has to figure out a way to turn it into something else that will be turned into something else that will ultimately be what we call gasoline or diesel. And then that has to be transported to someone. Then that person has to sell it, okay? So when, when we say, what's your job? What you're really replying with is, I play this role in this huge process, this huge system to take something that is crude and turn it into something that's refined, if that makes yeah. sense. And, and I would challenge just about anybody, there's no business that doesn't do that in some degree, okay? In the real estate agent business, our job is to take a human being who has some desire to either own a house or sell a house, but every time they want to sell it, it's usually because they want to buy a different one. There's not many people that you're selling a home for that don't want to go buy a different house or somewhere else, unless it's, you know, like a probate sale from someone that passed away. And your job is to create the system of turning this desire that's somewhere inside somebody into a, here's your keys of the new house and the commission that you get for it. Most agents don't really know what they are doing to get from A to Z right? They just take it as it comes. They try to figure it out as they go. A lot of the time they're leaning on the client to figure out what's going to happen. The client's got to call them. The client has to say what they want. Then the agent runs and says, okay, yeah, I'll go do it. They're much more like a waiter taking an order than they are like a business owner who is walking somebody through a process and being purposeful. That's been my number one frustration with the people that are working with me is they have that waiter mentality, the order taker. They, they say they're giving great customer service, but really what that means is I don't really know what I'm doing and I'm not in charge of this transaction. And that's why clients feel so much strain and stress and anxiety because they're having to run the show. What I've been doing to prepare for 2021 is literally coming up with a step-by-step -step process that every single one of our clients is going to go through to get from A to Z. Like the lead comes in the first thing we do is enter their name in the CRM. The next thing we do is put it into the spreadsheet so that we don't forget about contacting them. The next thing we do is reach out. When they reply, this would be the next step. Now, some of these people are going to skip the first seven steps, right? The minute that they, they email me, they're going to say, hey, I want to buy a house. I'm already pre-approved. Can you take me to see homes? They've already done the first nine steps for me, but those steps still had to get done. So what I'm doing is, is creating that system of here is every step from this point to this point and then that becomes someone's job. You are my inside sales agent. You grab all these new leads. You contact them. You ask them these questions. You set me up for the part where I jump in and I have this phone call with them to go over the overall plan. When I'm done with that phone call, I will put them through this part of the process. 
They're going to introduce them to a buyer's agent. That buyer's agent's going to get on speed with what they're doing. They're going to schedule a presentation where they're going to go over what we do. Here's the four things they have to do to get ready for that presentation. That person handles those steps in the entire system. It's just like an oil company who says, okay, your job is to get it out of the ground. Your job is to transport it. Your job is to hold it. Your job is to turn it into something different. And if we can get agents to start thinking that way, you are now on the way to building out a team, to building a business. And even if you never hire people, you're on the path to not letting your client run the show. You, they don't have to figure it out for themselves. You have a path that you are taking them on and you'll be much more organized and you'll feel less stressed. And that's really the mindset shift that occurred with me when I realized this is how I can run all these different things. I have a bunch of checklists that I use when I buy a rental. I have a bunch of checklists for a flip. I have a bunch of checklists for an agent. I have a bunch of checklists for a lending partner. And then you look at like the podcast that I'm doing or the books that I'm writing. It's the same thing. It's a process that I've spelled out and the more that you do it, the faster you get and the better you get at doing it. But I would bet, Aaron, if we looked at all the different things you're involved in, you're not just winging it. You're not just like, right. oh, this person comes here. Ah, let's, let's give this a shot. Yeah, having that list, that's actually something right now that a lot of our agents are in kind of two extremes right now. Half of our listeners are doing so many deals right now, they've never been this busy. And the other half of our listeners are not. The other half of our listeners are, are kind of really struggling because inventory is down and there's seven offers on the property and they're the, fifth, they're, the, they're the second best offer a bunch of times. So it's a time when people are trying to work hard, but there's also a lot more times where it's a little slower. To, for the agents right now where it's a little slower, where you're not as busy because you have fewer clients, it's a great time to spell out what that process that David just said for you and your clients, what is the perfect A to Z experience that makes it better? And, you know, and take it to where you're sitting there just kind of, I like to drink a cup of coffee and have nothing else on the table and just start writing. And like, you can use experience of, of, so what is, so first step is I, I meet them. And then there's an arrow arrow. It's like when I buy a house, first step is we turn on insurance. Next step is we turn on utilities. Yep. You know, next step is we go to the house and we inspect it. If it's occupied, we leave this notice. If it's vacant, we change the locks. And you just start drawing and sketching it out. And then you kind of remember after you do your first thing, because the first visual through it's, you'll do most of it in your memory. And, but with an agent, with a, with an experience, it could be, I, 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 first I email them these houses. Oh, I do a questionnaire with them. So I know what's on there. I set them up with the automatic stuff this way. I make sure I check in with them once a week. There's all sorts of software that does that stuff too, but it's in its purest form at the beginning. If you're trying to say like, what is perfect? And then you can think back to the deals that you lost the people that you lost. Oh, I lost them because I didn't follow up enough That's here. Exact. And now let me add a step right here to make sure I don't do it. Or what I was thinking when you were talking about the agents who were having a hard time, they're like, they're getting outbid. So they were super close. They did 98% of the work, but their client wouldn't come up another 10 grand. Yeah. What if you added a step earlier in the process where you explained to them, there's scenarios that are going to come up that look like this. Let's talk right now about how we're going to handle it. So you're not in the middle of the chaos trying to make the right decision. That's a, literally a step in your system that you make that would have made you the extra 2% successful. That would have been the difference between a paycheck and not. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, so many people are getting second place right now, right? Like they're obviously, if there's seven offers on a house, six people thought they were going to buy the house and didn't. They found the house of the people like, I want to live in this one. And six of them lost. That's really unique time. And so, you know, right now, while we're not as busy, take that time, come up with your steps, add that step in now where you're going to be talking to that, you know, talking to that buyer ahead of time. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to show you here. This is an example of like what a roadmap can look like. So that little first branch there for people that are watching this on the video is an example of all the steps we take when a lead first comes in and it moves itself up to where it, the branches into two different branches here of like a Y. One of those is for buyers and one of those is for borrowers. And, and along there, I just wrote every step that each person does. Then I carved into, okay, this is this person's job. This is this person's job. And then, like you said, Aaron, every time something goes wrong, I go back and I add a step and I say, okay, here's what we do. Now the people that come work for me, I can give them very clear directions. Here's where you have to get better. It's not just doing this, it's doing this well. What does it look like to prepare your client for the fact it's going to go over asking price and how are we going to determine that? What does it look like to get better at this skill? And there's not a lot of that that goes on in our industry. It's why a lot of people complain about agents. And the last point I'll make is your point about the screencast can literally be each of those little steps that I had detailed has a little link that they click on and they watch a screencast of how to do it. 
That's yeah. how, how simple it can be. Like you said, it starts with the list. You make the screencast, you put a little link right there in your list. And then when you hire someone there, you're hiring a person to do these eight steps. And there's a video that shows them how to do each one. Yeah. As people really start to scale, it's like being able to do it now as we're less busy. Cause you could take an extra couple minutes right now as you're turning something on mm-hmm. or doing it. But the, but just like what David just showed us like that branch and then having that step on there, as soon as you're ready to scale, one of the toughest part about hiring, hiring somebody is they show up on the first day and they only have like an hour worth of work. I know I've had, I've had a lot of times where people are like, no, I need an assistant. I need an assistant. And then they hire one. And on the first day, they're like, I don't have anything for them to do. Yep. I'm not ready to train them yet. I don't have enough st- or I have an hour worth of stuff. And they're like, oh, wait, I guess I, maybe I was a little bit overwhelmed, but maybe I didn't need a full-time hire. So help you figure out, you know, um, and what you can also take it a step further and look at what step you need to be filling, you know, what type of person mm-hmm. needs to be filling each of those branches as we go through it. And I love the idea too of having the conversations out there right now with your clients as an agent, having a conversation with your client to say, hey, let's talk about the three or four things that are happening in this market right now. Some sellers aren't doing any repairs because they're, because they got seven offers and they're thinking, Hey, I don't have to do this repair for you. I'm going to go. So what are we going to do? Or there's this on price and coming up with strategy when it's not as emotional, when it's not as in the heat of the moment at the very beginning, when you're sitting down with them, they're talking about their dream home. And you can say, this is what the market's like right now. Now I'm, I'm the expert and I'm going to work really hard for you, but these are all the different things that I've seen. So let's come up with strategy ahead of time. Are you okay with being second place on it? Or if there are seven offers, are we going to are, are you going to try to, you know, do you want me to make sure we're the best one? You know, how do you want me to handle this? And then as agents too, it'll help us figure out how to, how to manage our time. You, to- you have to learn how to do that in a hot market. So many agents are people pleasers that they avoid that difficult conversation when you first get with the client thinking that by being the waiter and saying, oh, you'd like a Coke, let me go get you a Coke. Oh, you changed your mind, you want a Sprite? Okay, I'll go get you a Sprite. Ultimately, that does make your client feel good in the beginning, but it doesn't serve them when they get out there into the bidding war they're going into. And the seller says, I don't care if you drink anything. That person's willing to do it for nothing. I'm going to go with them. You have to be able to tell your client, this is what you're getting into when they're, they're not in the war right? They're, they're in their barracks and it's safe. And you're like, okay, is this what you want to do? Because let me tell you what it's going to feel like. And it's not uncommon in my market. I would say the average listing that we're going after is gets between seven to 10 offers. It's like getting it at asking price is not even worth talking about. It won't happen when there's seven to 10 people. And I tell the buyers, we're not competing with the seller. We're competing with the other eight people that want that house. If you don't want to do that, you have to take my advice and look for houses that have been on the market for 20 days or more. In that situation, I can use my negotiation skills to get you a much better deal. That means you have to be disciplined enough to not chase the same four houses that everybody else is chasing. It won't be as pretty. It will have some issues with it. It's going to be, there's going to be wallpaper or ugly carpet. It's it's not going to show as well. If you don't want to take that road, you are willingly choosing to step into a situation where you may have to pay $100,000 to $150,000 over the list price, which means if you're approved at nine hundred, dollars we have to start looking at 750 houses, not 900 houses. And if you let the client make the decision on their own before they start, it's so much better than if you go out there and you get outbid and you say, oh, what can we do? The market's really hot. I don't know. There's nothing I could do, right? We just got outbid. But you didn't prepare your client for what they were getting into. It's yeah. that's really the skill of being an agent in a hot market that you have to develop. You have to be able to have those difficult conversations. You have to have a system in place where you're preparing the client. Like what I'll do is I'll sit down with a new buyer. Let's say they give some resistance and they go, there's no way I'm paying 150 K over David. You're just saying that because you want to make your job easier. I will show them the area they're looking in on the comps that have sold. And I will show the list price to sale price. Do you see this house? It sold in eight days. It was listed at 900. It sold at 1.1. This one sold in 10 days. It was listed at 800. It sold at 900. Don't tell me that this isn't the way it goes. This is every house. Now, do you see this one? This was on the market 30 days. It was listed at a million and it sold for 970. Which of these two people do you want to be? And if if you go over it with them when you first meet and they don't feel like you're being a pushy salesperson, you didn't wait until the middle of the okay, you got to come up 80 grand more than you thought. They're going to have all these doubts. Like, do I really have to go up $80,000? Even if you get the deal, you may lose the client. 
because they feel you weren't looking out for them. If you yeah. show it to them in the beginning, it's completely different. And that's why, you know, you and I were talking before this thing started, the ability to have direct conversations that are very honest and negotiate those waters without putting yourself in conflict with the other side is a huge asset to have. Hey, Real Estate Rockstars listeners, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but I want to do a quick commercial break, but this commercial break is different. This is stuff that I think you need, and this is me talking to you about some of the stuff that we had. So, you know, recently we had a lot of people reach out to us and say, hey, why don't you do a real estate mastermind? Why don't you do something where a lot of the listeners can get together and do some Zoom calls and ask each other questions and really just try to brainstorm and work together? I mean, there's a million masterminds out there. I don't know if this is something that we really want to do or not, or if we do, if we're going to limit it to maybe 20 or 30 people. We're just trying to figure out if any of you guys are interested. So if you have any interest at all in joining a mastermind with real estate agents around the country that are part of the Real Estate Rockstars Network, go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind and just join the wait list. It's just a really a formal, it's just an interest list for us to see, is this something we want to be doing? So that's, that's number one. Number two, you go to hybendigital.com forward slash foreclosures. We have a two day thing that we just finished recording. Now it's also inside Rebus University. And so you go to Rebus University and look at it. If you're already a member of Rebus, I'm, a lot of you guys are in the, you know, the monthly fee where you get access to everything. So we have a new course in there, 17 hours of content on how to buy foreclosures on how to find deals on how to you know do title you know go to auction also turn that into clients for your real estate agents how you can turn somebody that's in default behind on their mortgages into a client so go you know check out that course especially for you know you can you can buy the course now but again most of you guys already subscribed to all that i just wanted you to know there's another 17 hours of content great great content that i just recorded on there uh, that all of you guys have access to now at rebus university and then finally we have software that we talk about on and off it's called Padhawk, and in Padhawk, you can use that to go find leads. What you know, everyone is really, really busy right now, and we're so, so busy. People are selling, and they're saying there isn't enough product on the market, right? So they're, they're they can't find houses. Well, Padhawk will help you find houses before they're listed. It helps you find owners that should be listing their properties or people that might want to get there. I recorded a quick video. It's like six or seven minutes long for you guys to look at, real estate agent specific on what how you can use the software in order to do it. So go to hybendigital.com forward slash leads. Again, there's a video in there. I talk about how you can use the software to do it. Check it out. If it's something that you like, you may want to sign up for it. 99 bucks a month, but nationwide, any city out there, and it is a great way to find houses. So right now, people are saying there's lots of buyers, but we can't find enough houses. Well, maybe you can use this software. You'll find something that hasn't listed yet and make them an offer on their house. All right, back to your regularly scheduled program. Thank you for letting me interrupt you with that break. there's a few things you said there that were super brilliant, right? And it was, and it really saying, Hey, there's, there are two different options in this market right now. It is the, you go after these, the properties that just got listed and there's a a good chance that it's going to go over asking and showing them the examples because it's going to be different in every market. You know, a hundred thousand dollar market in Texas and maybe everything's going 10,000 over, over, over asking, but whatever it is, people have their price. And usually if somebody says I'm approved for a house for $500,000, their search is going, even to 525, That's they're, exactly actually, right. they're actually going to list more because they're right. going to say, hey, maybe we can talk them down. And you're going to say, yes. So if you see it at 525 and it's been on the market for six months, maybe. But, the, but really, you're going to have to be looking at houses for 450 so you can make the offer for 500. So I think that's, it's really good at the beginning to say, which route do you want to go? Do you want to be, because the strategy part that you said that I haven't even heard anybody say it like that is right now in a market, you're not competing with the seller. It's not you negotiating against the seller. You're competing with the other buyers. The seller's just taking the best offer, That's right? Exactly so when someone right. sends me seven offers, I'm just taking the best one. And, they, and if I counter back and I say, hey, I'm not going to do any repairs because I have seven offers. That's not me being a jerk. It's me just saying like, hey, there's seven of them and one of them is going to say this. So being able to change that mindset for the buyers to say like, hey, we're not battling with the seller here. We're battling with everybody else. So and do if we you want don't to do them? that, they're going to blame you. They're going to say, you didn't negotiate for me. You got beat by the seller. They're not going to understand. If you took a hard stance, they would kick you out of contract and they'd go with another one. You can't right. have that conversation in the middle of it because they're going to doubt question your integrity. They'll say, we made a full price offer and the seller yeah. rejected our offer. 
why did they reject the offer? I'd had that happen this last week. And, and they reached out to me like, why did you reject our offer? And I was like, I've had seven offers and they're all over. And I just didn't even want, and I didn't feel comfortable countering back over asking either. Like I didn't want to go back to somebody and say, yeah. Hey, you need to go 20,000 over asking in a counter. It was just like, no, I just had to do that. So that's two different perspectives. It's the, in a, in a buyer's market, you are competing against the seller. And it's you're negotiating against the seller. And when the request for repairs comes out, you're negotiating against the seller. And, the, and in a hot market where it's a seller's market, you aren't competing against the seller. You're competing against the other buyers. And everything you do takes that seller back to say, hey, do I put it back on the market? Do I go find a better buyer instead for that really unique perspective? What, are, um, what was the first assistant you ever hired? The, the, the first person you added to your That's team? That's a good one. Before I answer that, I'll, go, I'll throw this last piece in. I use that same strategy with sellers also. When I go take your listing and I know that it's going to sell somewhere around 700, but you think it's going to sell for 800, I don't tell you you're wrong and I'm smarter than you and get into a fight. I show you the competition. Here's the other houses the buyers are looking at. They've got six other homes that are the same as yours that are all priced between 685 and 710 right? If, if we're not putting your house on the market and having a buyer go look at just your house and make their decision, they're going to look at every single house that's in this price range. If you were a buyer and you toured these five homes, including yours, why would you pay $100,000 more for yours? Is those solar panels that you have really worth $100,000 to a buyer? And I get them thinking in the same terms of, we're not negotiating with a buyer. We're negotiating against the five other listings that are all on the market right now that are $100,000 less than us. I'm not the bad guy. These houses are out there. And just in general, those are the skills I think agents have to develop, especially in a hot market. When, when it's hard to get homes under contract, you have to be better at what you do. Absolutely. Like sellers, like so they, they get locked. People get locked into a value for a house and they say, no, it's worth that. And I know it because I did this and this and this and, yep. and because this was the upgrade and being able to say, Hey, you might be right. And your house is amazing. And I can totally see why you would pay 800 for it, but it's not, but you're not competing against me and we're not even, and we're not even competing against the buyer. It's not us as a seller. You're not negotiating against the buyer. Yep. You are competing against the other sellers. The that's other sellers. That's a total mindset shift, I think, for a lot of real estate agents that as they hear that and they get to treat that as a little bit different philosophy, taking that to, the, to the, your clients is going to help your clients just trust you and not blame something that goes wrong on you and they get to blame it on the other one. So, so my, well, my, my question was the, as we the jumped first around hire. a little. Yeah, your first hire. Uh, her name was Krista and she, when you hire your first person, the more of this, what I call the roadmap, like all the different steps that have to be taken. So I have a whole nother branch for sellers that's different than buyers. Here's all the steps that we take. And I have assistants that do the majority of the work with the seller. I basically get a seller lead have an assistant run all my due diligence. They're going to basically run my CMA, call all the pendings, call all the actives, get notes about every single property and what the agent says to prepare me for my listing presentation. Go on the client's Facebook, look and see what kind of stuff they're into. I want to know what their political beliefs are so I don't accidentally step into something that would offend them. I want to know what sports teams they like. I want to know where they grew up. When you go there, I'm trying to develop rapport. They're prepping me by doing all this research. Then they set the appointment. I show up to go take the listing. I come back with a signed listing agreement. My admin jump in and they do all the work of getting the house ready for the market. They schedule everything. They make sure all the forms are filled out. They get the information that I want for the description. They write it out and then I tweak it. Then we go on the market and I have them um, fielding all the questions from buyer's agents that are asked and collecting all the offers and putting them in a spreadsheet for me to quickly look at it. And it's very similar to what we said earlier, where I was saying you take this crude resource and you turn it into something refined. What reminded me of that was you saying that you were on the beach and you were buying a deal or you were at the pool. You can make that decision when all the information has been refined and put into the perfect way for you to look at it, analyze it, make your decision. It just took a lot of work that other people had to do to get that information in front of you in the way that you needed. That's where admin completely blow up your business in a good way. They do so, they do 98% of the stuff that takes your time. But that 2% you're doing is the part that actually affects the client. I'm negotiating the, that deal to put it into contract. I'm going on the listing presentation to answer all their questions, make them feel comfortable and trust us with the process. 
I didn't have to prep myself for that appointment. Someone else can do it. I didn't have to do all the work of getting the property ready to be put on the market if it's systemized. So I didn't have these systems in place. When I hired Krista, it was literally, David, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do I want you to do? Like do all the stuff we have to do. Well, I don't know what that is. Yeah. And I, oh my God. I'm woefully unprepared for this. I had to start writing out what these steps were so that Krista knew what she was going to be doing all day. And then it, you know, the process of her and I going through it. So she got good at doing it. And then the point I wanted to make about your first assistant, it, they're kind of going to be a jack of all trades. They're not going to be a specialist. If I had hired a bookkeeper as my first assistant, I would have never got anywhere because I'd have had amazing books, but my clients wouldn't have been able to talk to this person. They would have been way too slow getting things done because bookkeepers are very thorough, but they're not super productive as far as their speed. They're usually not going to be a people person. The business would have suffered if I'd hired a specialist in one thing. I needed someone that could do a little of everything competently and quickly. And Kristen was more than competent, but that's why she worked is she worked so fast and she was so um, purposeful with what she did that even though she wasn't amazing at any one aspect of it, she did half of everything that had to get done. She handled the support and the admin. I handled the sales. And then my second hire, I took what Krista did and I cut off half of it and gave that to that person. Okay, now they can handle twice as much support and I can do twice as much sales. And then my next hire was actually on the sales side. That was someone that was coming to work with my buyers. They weren't a full buyer's agent because they weren't ready to take my leads and run with them, but they handled the showing of houses, the looking up properties on the MLS, all the stuff that took a lot of time that didn't actually save the client's money is what I had them do. And as I've hired more people, it's forced me to get more specific with every step in the system. And that's where I feel like if agents want to scale, you got two options. You build that whole world or you work for somebody that has that world. Now, you don't have to do either of those two things, but you're probably not going to scale. You're going to stay doing the number of deals you're doing right now. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. If you're happy doing 20 deals a year, 30 deals a year, keep doing it. But for people that are listening to podcasts like this, they usually want more. They're, how do I get to that million-dollar GCI or $3 million a year? How do I build this thing up to be really big? You got to have people helping you. And in order to have people helping you, you have to make it very clear what you want them doing. Yeah. You know, you and I have talked before about people knowing their strengths and we even talked a little bit about it today, but I think another, a fun example of kind of this is a, a guy that was on here earlier in the week where he really likes the admin stuff and he didn't like the people person stuff as much. So he was an agent for a year or two before he started his own brokerage. And now he has a giant brokerage and it has a, a giant mortgage company and a, and a giant escrow and title company with it. But he realized what his strength was and what he really liked. And, yeah. and, you know, he was able to be in real estate, even though he didn't necessarily like doing the negotiations. And I thought that was really cool. He did it for a couple of years. He's like, no, I learned it. And I did fine. But what I really wanted was to build a business. He's like, so now I'm the broker, but I don't actually generate, you know, do any deals myself. And I thought it was really great to get that reminder that people can be, you know, you can be good at anything and then follow through it. You know, we had also one of the last times we took a kind of a call, a, a question that came in, somebody was saying, Hey, they were, they're struggling knocking on doors. They don't know how to do it. And your recommendation at that time was like, find what you're good at and do it. And I also like, I, I wanted to remind people right now as things are kind of funny in, with, you know, COVID type stuff is find something that you're good at and see if you might be able to spin something else that's happening out there. And so a, another guy that I interviewed this week, the, he does, you know, door knocking, but he hates talking to people in person. It's the most intimidating thing ever. So he just decided, you know what I'll do? I'll just put flyers at every door. Hmm. Right. And he just started, you know, he aggressively left flyers everywhere and he would leave them on every porch and, you know, he'd canvas whole neighborhoods and he would do it every week in the same neighborhood. And it took him months before people started calling and then people started calling. And so that was a good example of saying like, Hey, one of the real estate techniques out there was, you know, knocking on a door and saying, sell me your house. But that was so terrifying to him. He's like, no, my personality isn't like that. But he took the method and said, here's my version of it. I'll knock on the door and leave a flyer and run before they come open the door. And then if they decide to call me later, that's great. But if not, and it worked for him, the, you know, what are, what are some techniques out there that you guys are doing? I know so much of your stuff comes from word of mouth and referrals, but if, you know, what are you doing to try to generate more stuff right now? Or as you hire new agents and bring them onto the team, you know, what are, what are you having them do to generate stuff? 
Well, my vision is similar to the broker guys. I want to look for the agents that love talking to people, very charismatic, very popular, kind of your standard traditional top producer. They're the ones that know everyone in town, but they're unorganized and maybe not the most knowledgeable. They're never going to want to understand the nuts and bolts of anything. They just like to make people happy. And I want to bring them in and put them on this system that I've created to where they can excel without having to be organized, without having to have this knowledge or know all the details of a contract or a transaction. Those are the people I want to be working for me. So what I have learned to do is to take the agents that come and try to figure out what is their strength. Where are they good? Do they have a large sphere of people that look up to them? Are they really good at open houses? Are they really smart, but they're kind of shy, right? There's still a a world for that person to exceed in, in my company. They're probably not going to work with their own leads though. There's agents that know a ton about real estate. They are brilliant, but they're not people persons. So they do 10 deals a year because they just don't want to go out there and set the world on fire talking to people. I get them working more with my clients. I say, okay, this is my lead. You're going to get this percentage of the commission. This is what you're going to do. And they love it because they don't have to go experience rejection. They don't have to go post on social media a ton. They don't have to go put themselves in uncomfortable positions, but they still get to do a great job serving that client. They're amazing when it comes to running numbers and looking at comps and estimating rehabs and um, finding the amazing deal on the MLS that everybody else missed. They're super thorough with that. What I found is if you leave that person out there on their own, they're going to suffer. They're going to be really smart, but they're not going to make any money. And then there's the other side of it where you get the person that is super good, that gets 30 leads a month and they close four of them because they're so unorganized. That's the agent that people complain about. They don't call me back. They misspelled everything. I had to do so much in the transaction, but oh, she's so nice. Or oh, he's just so much fun. That's why people like him. I think that the future of real estate is finding a world where someone else is taking care of the aspect you're not good at and having the self-awareness to know you're not good here. Like the client, the person you just mentioned that went and started a brokerage because they knew I don't like talking to people all the time. That's very similar to me. I heard that's Gary Keller too. It's the same story. He was an agent. He found himself constantly educating his clients about real estate, which is kind of the way that I end up going. That's why I love working mm-hmm. on bigger pockets because I love teaching people. I love explaining it. I don't necessarily love jumping up and down with you when I hand you your keys and like shrieking, right? Like there's yeah. people that love that and I want them here. I want them making my clients really happy, but that's not what I should be doing. You don't want me to be the person handing you your keys. It's going to be really hard for me to get as emotionally into it as you are. And it's one of the things I said earlier, I love real estate sales not because I love the sales side of it. I love the fact that it's like business with training wheels. You can find people to handle the aspects of the job that you're not good at. And they're looking for you. They're looking for a person that's organized and knowledgeable and has created a world that they can thrive in. Yeah. I, I love that as, cause there's two different perspectives there, right? So our conversation kind of started with like, Hey, how do you scale your business? Right? I'm an agent right now. How do I scale? Oh, you focus on what you like. You come up with a system and then you do the stuff. So that's totally one option. Or another option is you go, hey, I'm really good at this. I'm going to go try to plug myself into a team mm-hmm. that they will do that too. And I tell you what, if you live anywhere within like 150 miles of the Bay Area and you're one of our listeners, like, because seriously, the, you know, David's office up here in Roseville is, is it's, you know, it's a couple hundred miles from where he is right now. If you're like within 100, 150 miles of the Bay Area and you're one of those people that gets really, really excited and really, really bubbly, but you haven't been able to dial in those systems, reach out to David about his, like he is, he, he is growing his team right now. He talked about how big it's going to get. So maybe you're one of those two people that are going to be the, you know, the great fit as he adds on out there. The, you know, every time I get to talk to you, I try to tell people, head your way because it is a real offer. Every time I tell people to reach out to me on Instagram, I get several people that'll ask me questions, that'll email me. I coach people on it the, and it's just give them some advice or we get to answer some of their questions here. Something cool that you recently did is you just opened up a mortgage brokerage. And, the, and so that's been a pretty unique way. So I had Jeff Cohn on here talking about what was the first thing he added. And I think he added you know, construction first and then it was like mortgage and then escrow and he's got a bunch of different businesses. And a, and a guy a week ago, the, he did title company first and then mortgage. So mortgage is kind of, you also have a flipping company that you do, but you do mostly investing and partnering with people on that. But then you got into, you know, mortgage is your new business. So as you look at kind of scaling that, was it super hard, you know, to make the change? Was it, was it, was it fairly easy? And then 
also, it's kind of a loaded question. The, the guy that had the mortgage company last week, after he got on the podcast, people reached out and said, hey, can I, can I send people to your mortgage company? You know, or if I want to open up an office, can I open up a David Green mortgage office in my office you know, in SoCal? Just, just talk about mortgage for a little bit. Talk about all that stuff. So the reason I did this was I found myself with so many of my clients doing the loan officer's job in a lot of ways. Sometimes it was literally their job. Like they need to send this thing out. They need to explain this to a client and I was doing it. Other times it was not things that the loan officer would have considered their job, but I thought it would be. Did you go over with them their options on the rate and what they could pay to buy it down and what the delta would be in their payment? Did we even look at that, right? In many cases, people don't realize this. You can, let's say you can buy your rate down for six grand and save yourself 80 bucks a month or something like that. You can offer to pay 506,000 instead of 500,000 for the house, ask for a $6,000 credit. It's all the same to the seller. In fact, the seller prefers it because their ego gets to see that they made over 500. Use that six grand to buy down your rate and you're going to spend 20 bucks a month more on the extra money that you borrowed, but you're going to save 80 bucks because of the rate. Okay. And there is a small trade-off there in the sense you borrowed a little bit more money, but it's usually a better financial situation for the client. I found myself looking at it because, you know, when we're representing our clients, I'm doing it like if it was me that was buying this house, how I would do it. And I found myself constantly trying to figure out why didn't the lender explain this to the person? And I just got frustrated with lenders not doing it the way I would do it. So I got my broker's license, I got my NMLS license, and I started doing loans specifically so I could help save our clients more money. And then what I found was that I was I liked it more. It was more fun than having to deal with the sides of real estate that I was already kind of leveraging off. So for me, it was a great fit. It, it fits with my personality. I'm very numbers-based. I'm very efficient. I like to look at how all the pieces fit together. Lending gives me the ability to do that much better. Uh, with the other agents who bring me their clients, their buyer clients, I like making that agent look good by saving their client money. But some realtors may say, oh, I'm not the numbers guy. I love uh, helping with the move. I love making the clients happy. They could look into starting a moving company. They get a couple moving trucks. They hire some people to help with the moves. They say, hey, if you sell your house with me, I give you half off of our moving services. And they go to other realtors and they say, hey, if your clients need help moving, uh, I'll give them 10% off if you send them my way or something like that. They can start that type of a, of a business to do more work. But the reason I specifically got into the mortgage side was that my passion is in the financial side of real estate, using it to build wealth. So if I can save my clients $40 a month for the next 30 years, I get juiced up about that. I get really yeah. excited about it more than just, don't you guys love that apricot tree in the back? You're going to be eating apricots for the next... 30 years. And so because I just recognize my personality works this way, I, I took those steps. Yeah. What great advice to be able to, so lending is a can be a strategy, especially in a, in a time like this, when it, when affordability is one of those things. And I think that when I did the calculation before buying my own houses, if I was going to own a house for more than say two years, two or three years, then the buy down paid for itself. Right. So yes. if you're on, if you're going to refi in a year or you're going to sell it in a year or two, the buy down usually doesn't, but kind of that balance that I saw was somewhere between year two and year three, it had paid for itself. And, and then after that, it was, you know, just discounts. So knowing that there's strategy in that and being able to have, you know, expertise in both will help, help you. It'll help your agents. And um, I think that's, I think that's really, really strong when you're out there and it's as agents are competing to be the best, right? Being able to say, hey, we also do mortgage and we do it because we can help you and we can get you a better deal and we can save you money. Like it's all about being able to provide value as we get to you know, kind of change lives as we're doing it. What's your favorite part about real estate? The boring way it can build wealth for people. Yeah. I, I love, I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, why most people aren't ready for retirement or don't build wealth is a lack of discipline they're not good at saving money. They're not good at telling themselves no, right? I've always, how do I want to say this? It's, I, I've naturally just been pretty good understanding money since I was a little kid. And so people that are not good with it were always just kind of confusing to me. Like, why is that really hard? But as I've gotten older, I've realized that every one of us has our own thing like that. There's people that are in incredibly good shape that look at people that are overweight and say, why is this so hard? Just mm-hmm. don't eat the ice cream, eat the broccoli. What's the, what's the big deal, right? 
And I've noticed that like, if you have an area that is naturally easy or you're good at, it's your responsibility to help the people that are not naturally good there. That's one of the ways you can just be a good person is if it's, if it's easy for me to pick up that heavy box, cause I'm a bigger guy, don't make the, the 90 pound um, kid pick up that box because that's going to be super hard for them. So I love using the, I love real estate because it forces you to be disciplined. It forces you to make smart financial decisions, right? You're renting for $1,800 a month. You buy a property, you pay $2,200 a month. In four years, your rent would have been $2,200. Now, every single year, you're saving money that you, did, that you don't even have to use discipline to do. And you're paying off a mortgage. And the property is going up in value. And 20, 30 years later, even if you had no discipline and that was the only good decision you made, it's, you benefited hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then you can repeat that really easy. I think that's the part that's always been so appealing to me is that it's one amount of work, like the stress of going through an escrow, the saving of the money, the signing of the documents, the making the decision, all the anxiety that no one likes when they say home buying is stressful, that now is done and you benefit for the rest of your life. That there's always been a piece of that that I've loved because most things in life, you learn how to do it and then you have to keep doing it. Fitness is a never-ending battle. You're always going to be exercising and trying to eat better than you want. Yeah, there's right? no horizontal income in fitness. That's exactly right. right. You, don't, you don't get skinnier while you sleep, for sure. Yes. And real estate, yes, you hit it on the head. It can be one effort and good decision that's like planting a tree that will produce fruit forever. And one of the gals that I recently interviewed on here, Rachel Richards, it's, she's either going to be have aired before this one or right after. You know, she talked about building wealth in real estate while only making $50,000 a year, right? Like she, mm-hmm. she, she, and it was because of discipline, because of discipline and systems. And there's a lot of different versions that are inside there. You know, one of our big missions this year, as we've talked to all of our real estate agents out there, and one of the best reasons I love being able to talk to David is we've been trying to encourage all of you listeners don't just be a real estate agent. Now, even if you are the best real estate agent, even if you are a fantastic real estate agent and you're absolutely crushing it and you're the best at your craft, the take that money and take that discipline to do other things too. And to do other things too that are investments. As a real estate agent, even if you're you know, somebody new at an office of 100 agents, you are an entrepreneur. You are in charge of your own fate. You are starting to control your own expenses, your own time, your own hours, and you're going to see an output with that. And, the, and a lot of that income that we get through real estate and being agents. And I learned this the hard way. I've talked about it a bunch of times. I made a ton of money from 2009 to 2012 buying houses and flipping houses. And I didn't invest anything. Made millions of dollars. And in 2013, I lost all of our savings, all of our money because we didn't have any savings because we, we had it in savings and cash instead of investments. And when my world turned and my business turned, you know, I had lost it all. And so when I started doing it in, I started buying rentals and businesses and other things. And it wasn't that I was making any more money this different time around when I found it, but I was, you know, just putting myself in a better place. And when COVID hit and coronavirus hit, it just felt a little bit more, uh, some one, like one or two of my businesses have completely failed since March, but I've had enough doing, doing well that life has been good and stable, different, but good and stable. So the, I love being able to talk to David because David was a, you know, he was a cop and then he was an agent, you know, and the, and he would buy some houses and now you've expanded to so many different things, right? Like everything, real estate and investments and things like that. So you take it from both of us when we're saying out there, as you're, as you're being a successful agent, keep your eye on the prize for what are some other things that you can be doing where you can plant that tree and be able to, you know, have that income later. We've learned in COVID, we need to have backup plans for stuff. For, for whether it's cities, whether it's business, whether it's anything, I used to think like there was some of my business plans that were just bulletproof and unstoppable. And I had no thought like, well, what if, what if foreclosures just completely get canceled for a year? What if they just say no one can get foreclosed on anymore? I didn't have that as my what if might happen out there. So the so David, as we wrap this up, and for those of you guys that are that are listening, we we had split this podcast into two different podcasts because of how long it went and how much you know info we had. I knew that David and I would be bringing you guys so much. So if you're making it now to the end, thank you for being here for it, and hopefully you've had a lot of fun with us. But David, what are some final thoughts about? I mean, I guess you, maybe you hit it on the head already about kind of real estate and business and COVID. And uh, and do you have any books you're working on right now? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I know we both are going to, the book I'm working on right now is gonna be a three-part series. And it's funny, it's 
a lot of what we just talked about. It's going to be a book written for real estate agents who want to make more money and grow their business. Uh, one Man, I just teed first, you up on accident so perfectly. Yeah, that was, that that was brilliant. Really good. That, I look really, really, yeah. And here's the cool thing. It's published by the same person that just published your book. It's from Bigger Pockets Publishing. So people awesome. can buy both of our books when they go on there at the same time. I, everything I'm talking about right now, I know people are listening to this because they're hungry. As you're hearing us talk, you're thinking, why did no one tell me this? That's a good idea. How come I never heard it? The training for real estates is frankly abysmal, real estate agents. It's just, you go to your broker, you're going to have a bazillion questions. You haven't proven yourself. If they spent their whole day answering questions from brand new agents, they would never get anywhere. The reality is until you get some momentum and some traction, no one's going to take time to show you unless you join a team and they're kind of obligated to. So I wanted to write a book for those people. The first book is due in December. It's being edited right now. And it's going to be how to make it as a real estate agent for the newer people or the people that are not crushing it. Here's the fundamentals that you have to understand about how to take listings, how to work with buyers, how to organize your day, uh, script objection handling. What do you do when someone says this? You say that. Well, how do you actually say it? Make sure you say it this way, not that way. The second book will be to make you a top producer. Okay, you've got the basics down. You want to learn how top producers act, what they do all day, what they do different than new people. Here's everything you have to know. And then the third book in the series will be for what I call rock stars, just like your show here. A rock star is an agent who has a team around them, but they're not completely passive. This is not the Jeff Cohn. I'm just the CEO of a company. This is more like where I am right now. I still do listings. I still work with buyers, but I use admin and I use showing assistance to do the majority of the heavy lifting. I use the analogy that Tony Stark is the superhero, but he's just a human. If he went out there to fight Thanos himself, he'd get squashed like a bug in the first two seconds of the fight. It would be done. His suit is what allows his brain, which is his superpower, to actually let him engage in this fight. So his suit protects him. It keeps him safe. His suit it allows him to manifest the brilliant ideas he has. He can know how to create a missile in his mind, but if he doesn't have a suit that can shoot missiles, it doesn't do any good. That's what your team becomes. They are the people that protect you, protect your weaknesses from screwing you up. If you're like me and you're not the most emotional person, they cover your six there. They cover your back. They make sure that that part gets handled in your business and they allow the brilliance of what you do well to be amplified. That's what the third book in the series will be. So if you go to biggerpockets.com slash store, you can get Aaron's book, Bidding to Buy, that you wrote with David Osborne and then uh, my series will be coming out. That's awesome, man. I think you had told me before that you were working on, on the book series, but I didn't realize how close it was and how it was tailored at real estate agents. You know, you know, like we've said, listeners out there, you know that real estate rock stars, this is the podcast for real estate agents. But the, if you like hearing from David Green, then you also need to go check out David Green on the Bigger Pockets podcast where him and Brandon Turner, they invest a lot of you know, investors that are doing it. We get so many people that apply to get on our podcast that actually are you know, investors and flippers, not real estate agents. And for the most part, we, we say no, because we want to focus on bringing value to real estate agents. That's our niche. You guys are our customers and that's who we're bringing. So we're going to focus on real estate, but add in some sprinkles of these extra things to go to. But if you got here and you're, you don't want to be a real estate agent and you just want to be working on flipping houses, you want to know more about that stuff, their podcast is great for that. And they've got a whole series of them over there. David, thanks for coming down, you know, coming on again. The, hopefully you get to make it up to my house next week where we get to hang out and, and hopefully there's slightly less smoke. Uh, so we can even hang out outside. Um, if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to find you? If they want to talk about us doing a loan, the email is loans at davidgreen24.com. That's the best way to get me there. Um, See, that's that whole trick of you assign an email address for the function. So you want to do a loan, loans at davidgreen.com. That's exactly right. And then if you want to get a hold of me, the best method is probably through Instagram. If you go, I'm David Green 24 on pretty much all social media, but I check Instagram the most. So if you message me there and we start talking, the, the people who I know I can help this person, that's who I give my email to. And then I get them into a different system so that we don't miss people. And I can get administrators that are involved in scheduling the phone calls and talk with everybody. So keep listening to this podcast, guys. I'd love it if you listen to Bigger Pockets as well. But I, at one point when I was new, did not enjoy every day of working as an agent because I was doing everything. When I got to the point that I could leverage off the stuff that I didn't like, all of a sudden I love being a real estate broker and I get excited about going to work every day. So there's totally light at the end of the tunnel for you if you don't love it. And if you do love it, you can amplify that. You can love it 10 times as much when you get the right people around you. So you're definitely in the right place if you're listening to Aaron here. 
Yeah. The, you know, and the last time I interviewed David, he talked about all the fun stuff that he learned on this podcast back when Pat Hyben was the host and how much he applied that and it totally changed his business. So real estate rock stars, thank you for listening. Go follow David on, on Instagram, David Green with an extra E at the end, G-R-E-E-N-E 24. And you can come find me at Instagram too, at Aaron Muchastegui or at R-E Rockstars. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger, yes, the one finger that points at people, and hit subscribe. Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on the million dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also, listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a, a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day, and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.